the generation of my kids in terms of green sustainability, thinking future, being cautious, not overspending, not being totally consumistic, I'm confident they're better than we are. And still, it's human. We tend to favor our convenience before the convenience of the planet. And that's where I say that we have to be very careful. Welcome to Future Strategies. I'm your host, Florian Schleicher. And this show is my gift to you. In honest conversations with inspiring marketing leaders, we explore how marketing and strategies can achieve sustainable growth. If you would like to apply this to your own projects, that's exactly what I do as a strategist, coach and workshop facilitator. I'm here to help you build the marketing of your futures. So let's jump right into it. So today I'm talking with Maurizio Poletto. Being a designer and entrepreneur by practice grown into a banking executive, Maurizio is striving to transform the banking industry from the inside. He is the founder of Erste Group's in-house fintech and for over 10 years, he has been driving force behind the development of George, whose more than 9 million users across Austria and Central Eastern Europe make the region's leading banking platform. In January 2021, Maurizio joined the ranks of the Erste Group Management Board as the first ever Chief Platform Officer. The main tasks keep him busy these days on how to enhance, organize, scale and govern digital banking to improve the financial lives of as many people as possible. I am so happy to have you with me here today. So welcome to the show, Maurizio. Thank you for having me, Florian. Looking forward. So the reason why I'm particularly happy that you are here now is because our relationship actually started with a disagreement. Yeah. So we have met at the panel discussion and we were talking about strategy and sustainability. I still remember that we agreed to disagree and immediately afterwards I was thinking, gosh, probably he'll never want to talk to me again. But then I reached out to you and you said, yes, of course, let's do this. So thanks for being here and engaging in a discussion today. I'm looking forward to change my mind. <laughs> so I would like to talk with you about two topics. So first, strategy and innovation around the George app, and then second, sustainability and how it can be implemented on a strategic level. So let's start with innovation. So usually innovation comes from market outsiders and the big companies lag behind but you were part of the George app creation, a banking app for those who don't know it. And that for me felt like a stepping stone into the future from a, from a corporate bank. So when I first opened it, and I still love it, and I saw that many tried to copy it. What role did you think strategy played in that whole product creation process? Very interesting. Look, normally a strategy rely on the fact that you have a target. And when mm -hmm. we started to do what we have done for the bank, we didn't really have a target. Hmm. So what we were focusing on was not on a strategy, on a strategic approach, but rather we were focusing on to build a certain culture. And we were very confident that once we build a certain culture and we collect the right people that could fit on that culture, something good will come out. Mm -hmm. 
And out of that something good, you build the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then you start connect all those little things and those boxes. And then normally you can start seeing a strategy forming. Um, yeah. Very often I had this idea that a strategy is someone on a, on a room deciding, okay, we want to go that way. This is our goal. And we use this strategy to get there, right? So you need to have clearly the target visible. Yeah. And I have to say, when we started to work for the bank, and it was not only me, there were several other people joining me on the, in this venture, and this, we started in 2012, we didn't really have a goal. And, and many executives from the bank were coming to us and telling us they were not asking strategy or goal, they were asking, uh, what is the big picture? Mm. Uh, what, is the, what is the vision? And for many years, we struggled to deliver that picture <laughs> until we realized that there was no picture to draw. There was no something. You draw a picture and then you get all the resources going in that direction. But it was rather having some beliefs and ideas or some, some beliefs, I would say, and then start doing one step after the other one in the same direction. And then once you start connecting the dots, see what is working, what is not working, eliminate it, what is not working, push further on what is working, and then co connecting the dot, make this what you would now call a strategy visible. Mm -hmm. It was never written in a piece of paper. And I somehow find this very inspiring because I myself today don't ask people anymore. I know, I'm not trying to understand if people have a goal or a target. I'm trying to really to understand if they have the right culture to go in the right direction. Yeah. And, and there is this famous quote from Steve Jobs when he said, you can only connect the dot by looking backward and not by looking forward. Yeah. And that's pretty much what we have done. We have done lots of things that make sense to us. We have choose to do something and, and choose not to do something else. And then after a period of time, you can see that you can start connecting the dot and the things make somehow sense. So interesting. It reminds me of a, a quote from a friend of mine. He's the head of creative at Too Good To Go Global. And he said to me, creativity is about inventing a future that is not there yet. So it sounds like a very creative driven process. And it also reminds me of a book that I just read, The Innovator Solution, where the authors write that there are two ways to approach an innovative process. So one is deliberate planning, where decisions initiate a project that is grounded on numbers and rules that would be objectives. And then there's discovery-driven planning, where there are decisions that are based on pattern recognition more. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you did that with George at the beginning. Our project was built on curiosity and some strong conviction. We, we, were, we, we were very convinced that digital will, digital will, will take over the banking industry pretty much in the same way it has been taken over other industries as well. I mean, this is not a fantastic revelation for many of us today. It's very obvious. For many people at that time, it was very obvious too. It's just, you know, the classical situation is you have a business that is already very successful. Um, you tend to say, why do I need to risk something? Why do I need to experiment? Mm. I just keep running the business. And so uh, it requires a bit of, at that time, it required a bit of boldness from the management board of that bank at that time, from the CEO to believe that few people not coming from this industry, because as I said before, we were focusing on the culture and the question is, what is culture? Culture is the people you bring on the table and the, the way you plan to get them to work and, 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 and how you, which kind of briefing you give them. And I think we had ma mainly 
not bankers on the table. So I think one of the reasons why our project has been successful is that uh, have been built by people that are not bankers, but they are using banking every day. And they have the capacity of understanding that I want to have the product in that quality. And we've actually... We actually build a product we would love to use, right? That's this mm. was the thing. It was a very personal ambition. We all sit down and say, "Listen, what all the banks are offering today, anyone likes it here?" And everyone said, "No, we we hate it." And, <laughs> said, well, and can we do something that we all love? And under the idea that if we like it and if we love it, most probably a lots of people out there will like it and love it too. Yeah. So as I said, not big strategy, but very much put passion on this topic. And especially being convinced that design, digital interfaces, custom experience can make a difference. So we had zero cynicism on the idea that, oh, banking is 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 profitable anyway, and it doesn't matter if your app is good or bad, the banks will make money anyway, you know. Yeah. We really truly believe and also probably in an exaggerated and naive way, that we truly believe that if we don't make this right, the whole world will collapse, which of course is not true. <laughs> but we put so much passion and effort on it that we want to do something we can be proud of. And I think uh, partially we partially we, we, we manage somehow. Yeah, definitely. And I think what you mentioned is very important that you had the commitment of the CEO. Oh, yeah. Because otherwise, such a big innovation project would probably not be possible and feasible. And you had some like pillars that guided you. Like you mentioned, it has to be personal and probably also something like it has to be easy and convenient. How did you figure out what the customer's needs were? Did you just go in with your own assumptions or did you also do customer research for that? No, yeah, well, very good point. Yeah, we did, of course, we did a bit of customer research, a bit of focus group, but rather to validate if our gut feeling were right or wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, from the initial phase, we were really relying on what what we would love to use ourselves. And still today, you see, I'm meeting every new employees in the, in in the in the team um, uh, every every time a new employee. So I met I met ten of them this week. I do an introductory. I tell them the story of this project, and I tell them try to tell them the vision and what we believe in and the direction we are going. And I, and I always encourage them to say, listen, the organization we build here in the bank is a very flattish organization. We are all available at and almost in a real-time chat mode. Everyone can Slack me anything. And I said, look, I'm interested in your opinion. Also, of course, a professional opinion, but you are front-end engineers. We will not have a, a JavaScript discussion. But I'm also interested, or I'm mainly interested on your opinion as a retail consumer. Yeah. You know, tell me if there is a function in George that you don't like it, tell me. If there is a feature where you would love to have it because you or your family would use it, that's exactly what I need, right? Mm. That's how this project started. So we said, I think I remember that time the assumption was we said, look, most of our customers are using those global platforms. They're using Facebook, they're using Airbnb, they're using Gmail. And we ask ourselves, why the banking platform should be much different from all yeah. those things, right? So can we do a banking platform that is a pair at least, or it gives the same good custom experience like I have it in Airbnb or I have it in, in Gmail, right? And I think this is how everything started. 
Then, of course, we use focus group and user test, but rather to validate if our assumption were right or wrong, instead of just using user research to figure out to go left or right or to do it blue or green, you know. I don't really believe in that level of, of user research. I think we designer, we creative people, we business people, we have the responsibility to come up with ideas yeah. and solutions. This is our job. It's not the customer job. Yeah. Uh, it's our job. And we need to take the risk of believing in something. And then, of course, we use user tests and focus groups and, and customer survey to validate if we are right or wrong. And it makes total sense because... Whenever I do a strategy workshop or an innovation workshop with a client, I always like to come back to that quote from Henry Ford, which was, if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have told me faster horses. Mm -hmm. So customers can, of course, tell you how they feel, how they perceive things. But real innovation is out of sight from customers because, as we discussed, it's something in the future that nobody has seen so far. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, of course, in our case, we are having a mass market product here. We're having a product that is used. We are building a platform that is not very focused on a specific segment, right? Yeah. We're having a platform that is used by people at 10 years old to 99 years old, 100 years old, right? There are a whole spectrum. There are in that platform, in George, we manage super rich people, normal people, struggling people, young people, old people. There is the whole world in there, right? We are a mass market bank in many countries where we operate, somewhere we are more affluent or less affluent, but in general, we are a universal bank, right? And therefore, it's also very hard to find the customer voice because we don't have a customer. We have many customers, right? We have many different types of customers. Mm -hmm. And the other complexity is we do a platform that is operating in at the moment in six different countries six different cultures, attitude, attitude towards, for instance, investment, atti different attitude towards savings, different attitude towards digital. So also there is very variegated, is very diverse. And, and, and therefore, it's even more important that we have few principles we trust. One of our leadership principles within the team is principle that talks about the fact that our leadership has to be able to take the risk of make decision. And we encourage our leadership to take decision with your guts. So really, I want to see strong beliefs in your guts. Mm. However, the exercise is to make sure that your guts are educated. Hmm. Our job is to educate our guts in order to make decision with my guts. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what we encourage all our leadership to do, right? We want people taking risks. We want people having strong opinion. We want people having emotional decision. We like this. I, 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 I do this myself, but I, I'm expecting this from our team as well. However, our job is to constantly educate our guts to make sure that We are not completely out of reality. Yeah. You mentioned one word in what you were saying is passion. And I watched a behind the scenes video from the George creation process. And one colleague of yours said, you were the one with the ideas, the vision, the stamina, and the Italian passion to fight for them. So I wanted to ask you, what role does passion play in strategy? Doing a project like this in a big organization is a 
or in general, doing a George is a transformational project, right? We are taking an organization which is very solely sitting on a existing operating and business model, and we try to introduce a different way to serve our customer to transform the organization. Now, no one likes to change. Mm. Customers don't like to change. Employees even worse, right? Change. We all not, don't like to change. We we tend to repeat the same thing over and over again, and we feel very familiar in doing the same thing over and over again. And you know, normally you need to have very good reason to change. Very often, people get to the point that they are forced to change. The things don't go very well, or you're, you're in trouble, or you don't make money anymore. Therefore, change is a necessity just to survive. Now, if you introduce a change program or a, a strong change project within a large organization, you will actually find very good people with very good reason why it makes no sense, why it's not worth it, why it's not the right time, why why, why, why the question, the, the question, the transformation, and so on. Probably... They don't really notice, but they are just hesitant because it's change. Exactly. It's, they're not bad per se. It's just no. that they say, listen, we have done a good job and, and why do we need to risk it? Can we just optimize it? And so on and so on. And so in order to get those projects really performing, so pulling the challenge off, you need to be very persistent. You need to have a stamina. Now, the reason why they call my stamina, they call it emotional, or uh, it's, it's, it's because I tend to be loud and, you know, I'm coming from a Southern European culture, so I tend to be loud and be very outspoken. So I could escalate, but then one minute later, I have no problem at all. So I don't take things very personal and so on, which is probably different than what a German or a Nord Northern European would do, right? Look, what we do is really hard. Transformation is really hard. So either you like it and you enjoy or you will give up. And, 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 and I think that's the whole thing, right? You don't, we don't give up. And of mm. course, it's not only about us. One of the factors that allows you not to give up is that you feel around yourself support from the right people. That's where back to the management support. And now and then I'm in the managed position, yeah. I'm trying to basically act with my people with 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 my team or with the bank with, with 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 the bank organization i try to act as the management i found in Esther group act with me when i came in from the outside without any experience so it's all about passing on what you experienced when you first joined for the next generation correct yeah, yeah. so let's dive into change a little more Because also you mentioned that one big part of the George creation was what problems do people currently have? What yeah. do they want to change about yeah. banking? And currently, a lot of people are talking about sustainability. And back in my talk last autumn, I argued that companies would need to not just focus on profit, but also bringing people and the planet and its resources into balance. And I had this graph shown with three circles each equally big. And then in the middle, there was an overlap. And I said, we need to go to that overlap. And you said, if I remember correctly, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that people will always focus on profit first. And if that's a given, then they will maybe yeah. choose something yeah. good. What I, see, what I see right now is that 
if you ask people, and I'm here, I'm not talking about early minority or early believers. I'm talking about our society, mass market, our society. If you ask them, do do you think that we should improve our, I don't know, carbon footprint or our sustainability ratio and whatever, they all say yes. If you put this at the discount of any convenience on their side, then they struggle. If I say, listen, uh, would you give up your car and start going to holiday three times a year with the train uh, rather than taking your car and mm-hmm. going there? And then... And then only a minority will be able to be so bold to do this, to do this switch. And the other will probably prioritize convenience versus a belief. And I'm not saying this to describe that we are living in a bad society. I, I I don't know if I mentioned when we mentioned last time, but I strongly believe that the generation of my kids, I have two kids, 18 and, and 13. I believe that the generation of my kids mm-hmm. are a much better generation than my generation. I'm 50. Uh, I grew up in the 80s. I think people who grew up in the 70s and the 80s, they are the worst generation ever. We are the worst parents ever. The people in my age remember the 80s. The 80s was about growing, right? Who cares? It was about taking over the... We care about nothing, right? It was... Remember, 80s was the... At least in Italy, where I grew up, it was uh, was the beginning of private television, advertising, consumption, consumption, consumption. It was about the explosion in our part of the world of consumism, right? That's that's what was the 80s. We grew up, was born in the 70s, I grew up in the 80s. We grew up in a period where there were no wars around, no wars, no crisis. Mm-hmm. Yes, more little crises left and right, but small stuff, right? Mm. we have been always better off than our parents or grandparents you see the lucky we're the lucky shot and this has impacted our character mm. our kids have been going through a hard time maybe the generation of my kids is probably the first generation who will not be as wealthy as their parents so the curve is turning around uh, mm. they have they have seen war they have seen pandemic. They have seen problem. Yes, they have a lot of opportunity. They have internet. Their access to knowledge is better than anyone else. They speak languages that at their age, I wasn't even dreaming of speaking languages, right? And so what I wanted to say is that they, the generation of my kids, in terms of green sustainability, thinking future, uh, being cautious, not overspending, not being totally consumistic. I'm confident they are better than we are. And still, it's human. We tend to, I think we all tend to favor convenience before our convenience before the convenience of the planet. I make something, I make something banal right now. Mm. And that's where I say that we have to be very careful. And so we need success story mm-hmm. to make transformation happen. So for instance, back to my business, one of the tactics, not the strategies, the tactics, one of the tactics we use to make change in a big organization in Esther Group is to do small projects, to roll them out. So not to tell people what to do, but to do a project ourselves, roll them out, make them successful, and then heavily, heavily celebrate those projects. Really try to sell the success. Why? Because large organizations, especially big companies like our bank is and was a, is, a, is a big company, 
large organization are shifted by success story. Mm-hmm. They're not shifted by PowerPoint. You don't send around a PowerPoint and from tomorrow on, everyone is doing what's written in a PowerPoint. But yeah. if you start having a little project that has success, that it has management attention, that management talks about it, and then you see that the people who run that project start having a career, then everyone around is start making the math and say, okay, look yeah. at this. They did this little transformation. It works. Management talked to them. They are happy about it. They communicate it. They have media attention. They have management attention. Their careers. And then everyone, and I don't care if they do it because they believe in it or they do it because they have an ambition in their career, but they do it. That's the most important thing. They are doing it. So I think in green transformation, we need something similar. We need success, success story somehow. Look, I give you an example. I, I believe Tesla goes a bit in this direction. Mm, absolutely, I agree. A bit, not fully, but a bit in this direction. This is a success story. This the, the the owner is Elon Musk is the is the richest person in the world. They've been ahead of anyone else. Yeah, they do a car. A person don't even like the design of that car. I don't think it's the most beautiful design car ever. Yeah. But there is a success story around it. Mm. And I know I was reading a couple of maybe last last year. I was reading that there is in US this trading app for people, for young people called Robinhood. Mm-hmm. It's an app you download to buy and sell shares mainly. And the most traded share is Tesla share. Mm-hmm. And trust me, this is not because people believe in the green transformation of Tesla. It's simply they want to buy a piece of that success story. Got it, yeah. We care. No, as long as they start the transition, I don't care, right? As long as things happen. So I think we need to be the green transformation, in my view, of the green awareness and our societal behavior transformation needs to be strongly bounded and very tactically bounded to success story because people tend to follow success story. So I totally agree on what you said on the mass market, that people, all the generations especially, don't care that much. They grew up with a paradigm of endless growth and the world is ours. Everything's up for grab. And we also see that the younger generation, for example, 62% of Gen Z say they prefer to buy from sustainable brands. And some also say they will forego some financial benefits for it. I've read a report um, where 40, where they say they accept the price premium of 40% if something is sustainable. And I also agree with you that a lot of this change needs to come from organizations Because they can, if Tesla says, okay, and they are not perfect by any means, but what they do is they shift how people think. And in doing that, they push people to a more sustainable behavior because we mm-hmm. all agree an electronic vehicle is more sustainable in a lifetime value analysis than a, an oil-based uh, car. But <clears throat> doesn't that mean that companies need to have a stronger stance on sustainability. And I, I also have a, an example from last year, which was maybe you've seen the Apple TV ad about sustainability with Octavia Spencer, where she enters a room full of Apple executives. Tim Cook is there and she says, okay, let's hear it where you are at. And what follows is a very authentic, entertaining approach from Apple where they say what they are doing and also where they are not They are where they want to be, but they go out with some pretty big commitments. And what I liked about this, and again, Apple is also not perfect, 
But what I liked about it, it was a very authentic approach. It was brave. And it also showed to a mass market, hey, we're going in a more sustainable direction. We'll take you with us because the customer then just buys a product. And if it is more sustainable, perfect. I worked, for example, at Too Good To Go, and we were saving food leftovers. And we didn't care why people saved food. It was just, okay, if they save food with the app, whether it's because they save money or they try to do something new or they want to do something sustainable, it doesn't care because it's good. But then, and this is now my criticism because I also looked at your ESG page from Erste Bank and you're not responsible for that, I know. But it feels a little bit empty. So my feeling was that whereas Erste Bank did a great job in innovation with an app and the future of finance, are there, and maybe there are the projects and you're not yet talking about it, but there is so much on social and governmental and not so much on the environment part of ESG. So in your opinion, should Erste also be a front runner and an innovator like it is in many other things in sustainability? Well, look, there are different dimensions in ESG, right? So let's talk about the social one. I mean, we are one of the few banks in Europe and in the world probably that have a charity foundation as a main shareholder. So every profit we generate from the commercial bank, it goes into the percentage share of the foundation. And the foundation is a very clear target. We do two things in the foundation mainly. We are, and again, so basically we are trying to help the development of, of civil society in the, re, in, in the country where we operate. Now, to you, me and you living in Austria, coming from Italy, civil society is a very well-known concept. But if you go to a country like Romania or Slovakia or Hungary, uh, it's a rather fresh new concept, right? Mm. We found in the past that even the world is not translatable, right? They don't even have words to, to describe civil society. And so part of the effort that our colleagues at the foundation are doing is to support NGO and support initiative in all those in all the countries where we operate to foster and to allow and even give visibility to initiative that goes in the direction of developing a civil society. Mm -hmm. uh, now, many people don't build that connection between the Esther Foundation and, and the bank, but that's actually a very unique machine we put together. And in case, I mean, just in general, our foundation is not a charity foundation under the bank. Mm. It's owner of the bank. So they own the bank. So they are technically, they are my boss. They are giving us uh, guidance. They're giving us direction what to do and what to do. So that is one role. The other role of the foundation is to support basically um, access to banking. So you have to understand that banking became, um, over the last 50 years, a necessary commodity to be able to live your life. If you don't have a bank account, you most probably, you will not be able to rent an apartment. You probably, you will not be able to make a contract with the electricity company. You need to have a bank account. So a bank account is a commodity. Now, mm. having a little credit is a necessary thing to survive, right? Now, there are people in our society that for whatever reason, because they have trouble, they went bankrupt, or maybe they don't never really access it, they just don't have access to those services. That's the other job of the foundation. The foundation is trying to basically 
offer banking services to people which are not bank yet to bring them to a level that they can afford a commercial bank like us. And so you see here the symbiosis between the work they do and the work we do in the bank. They are preparing the ground for these people to 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 come into commercial banking. We have an initiative, I think it's 10 years old, that unfortunately we didn't even talk enough and I think I would never stop telling I don't know, a lot of people knows that we have founded a new bank in Austria. It's called Zweite Sparkasse. So we are Esther, the first Sparkasse, the first Esther Sparkasse. And 10 years, I think it was 10 years ago, maybe, around 10 years ago, we founded something which is called Zweite Sparkasse in the same location in the 7th district, in the 2nd district, where we actually, our original bank was founded almost two years ago, 200 years ago. So Zweite Sparkasse has one role. They are responsible to give people a second chance, especially people who went bankrupt or their financial problem, or they went to jail. Mm-hmm. Normally, these people come out of jail and they simply don't get access to banking services. Yeah, which creates a vicious cycle. Exactly. And so that's the job of Zweite Sparkasse, which is a bank we, we build with, with volunteers, mainly we're using bank pensionists to and a couple of NGO around it, especially the one related to debt counseling and all this stuff, to select the right people, give them banking product for free, help them to get into their feet again. And when they're ready, they're going to pass it up to the normal regular bank and they will become regular businesses. So this is what we do on the social side. Um, maybe you are right that we don't communicate this very much. We unfortunately or fortunately, we tend to add in the we tend to have already still today and also in the past, a bit of reservation in making all our initiative too prominent because we never like those companies who actually they're over talking about their social initiative. Mm-hmm. We were very so we had very strong communication in the community. So the community and the NGO community knows the Esther Foundation very well. But we never really did communication for everyone else just because we didn't want it to cross too much. Mm. But this is strongly part of our G part. In the part of ESG, here comes a tricky part in a sense that there have been attempts in the past to believe that the role of the bank is to force company to become green mm-hmm. by simply doing what? By simply not giving them money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to say, okay, well, stop financing those industry and they will... And they will and they will and they will be forced because they have no money they will be forced to transform mm. you see i had the impression in the past that politician thought that this would be an easy way to get those companies to transform by taking from the money point of view and financing point of view rather than saying we probably need policy public policy to make that transformation happen and you see our job is to help those companies these are companies that are totally aware we're not financing any new things which is not green but we have company where we have relationship for decades and we have been helping them to grow where they are right now and we also feel the responsibility if they are in a transition period to finance that transition Mm -hmm. and sometimes i had the impression that you know movement groups and believe oh you finance that company and this is a brown company mm-hmm. and they say yes but if we will not finance it they will never transform because the state doesn't give them money right so it's our job to happen to transform so at the moment that's where we are in right now we are helping those companies to transform and we are helping them with the tools we have in our hand which means financing and so on and of course we try to explain that 
this is necessary. So we are not taking in any new project unless they guarantee us that this is this is green or or is is properly documented. The big question is not about the new the new financing. The big question is the the big question is the transformation of the existing business. And uh, and there, I have to say, we see ourselves as a partner for those companies. And I think it would be it's good that we are partners and we have been committing on those topics and we will continue to work hard on those topics. So I, I totally agree on what you're doing on the governmental side and, and the social side that you have a big impact with the foundation. But I think in terms of communication, and you mentioned that, it seems like you're doing things, you're trying to get the industry through finance to become more green. But there is not that much communication about it. And I'm just questioning whether if you would do more communication on that side, it would signal to companies, to other financial institutions that, okay, like Apple did, okay, this is the way we're going to. And that's not like the focus of the year for us, but it's just like, we will be doing our fair share here. And that's on a communicative set. Yeah, I see your point. What I would, um, yeah, what I would, recommend you to also to consider is that and probably we have to even improve our communication in this direction what i would suggest you to consider also the fact that we tend to live now we talk about communication we tend to live in a polarizing world means is a hundred percent green which is 100% great or is 100% black and is 100% black yeah, uh, we need to move away from black and white because i know but that's a reality out there That's real. That's social media, right? That's uh, you. You uh, then the risk is you do communication and you try to explain your argument and your approach, and then you're gonna be, and then there is a chance. I'm not saying this it will happen, but there is a chance, and you know what I'm talking about. That actually someone will pick up that little details and turn it into, oh, you see, you are polluting the world, right? Hmm. Without understanding that we are the whole world at the moment is in a transition phase. I agree with you that at the moment what we see right now globally let's 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 walk back a bit and give a bigger perspective so what i see globally is that europe which is actually polluting relatively nothing compared to the rest of the world exactly they're taking this rather serious even from a formal point of view we are talking about regulation on banks we're talking about regulation on cars we're talking about really regulation right so we're taking really this serious I don't think the Americans are taking this serious. Uh, at least I don't believe that if Trump will win the election, they will really double down on that topic. Mm. I know that China is start, but they're on the China and India. They're on a phase that let us let us make the party. You did the party years ago. We want to do the party as well, right? And there is this little continent, Europe, in between, which actually, if we would become green tomorrow i would love it and i believe and i would it would give me the feeling that we are the best place to live in the world which i believe today we are the best place to live in the world europe is the best place to live from a cultural from the quality of life from the social support we are the best place but still if we're gonna get all green tomorrow we are most probably not solving the problem of the world which doesn't mean we shouldn't do it we are part of this but we are we're too small for that And so that's the situation. So we are in this gigantic transition phase at the moment. Mm. And I believe that our public opinion 
need to understand that we are in this transition. And like in every transition phase, you cannot be polar. You cannot be. You cannot be black and white. You cannot be polarizing. That that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, and I think that it was a great point. Also, the risk of when you communicate sustainability, you open door for a backlash if you're not white and and then you're just black. I think in a in a broader conversation, we need to move away from those terms in sustainability because I think they won't get us anywhere. I also think that Europe will not solve the problem, but they can play a big part in signaling to other countries because if we as a super rich continent can't do it, then other continents will say, yeah, but you're not even doing it. I agree, I agree with you on this. I agree with you. I like, I like what you said. And I think it would be nice to say, okay, we can show that it's possible. We can show that you know we are the part of the world which has the probably the biggest heritage and the biggest cultural condensation so uh, if we prove that it's possible and if we prove that we believe in it the other will believe it too i'm not quite sure that is so obvious though there is so one on one right that's i'm not sure i i don't think we are so influential that's what i wanted to say the risk i see here is that they like it that we do it because they have opportunity to make more business yes That brings a very valid point to the discussion also. Maurizio, I, I think I, I've got a very much better understanding of where you are with your positions. And I have learned a lot, obviously, of this. And I, I already can see that there is lots of room for another discussion between the two of us. I want to close this interview with the three final questions. Okay, cool. Let's go. First question is, what is a good strategy for you in three words? A good strategy is a call to action. Call to action. Three words, yeah. What do you think is the future of strategy and sustainability? Tactics and success story. As I said before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think success stories will play a huge yeah. role in the transition. Yeah. And finally, a more personal question. Is there any book that you've recently read that you would like to recommend here today? <laughs> Look, the last really the last the last book I would I could I was reading that I could recommend. It's a book about it's it's a it's a leadership book and it, it was written about one it's a US story of course and it's it's um it's called Trillion Dollar Coach. <laughs> it, it's about it's about Bill Campbell and he is an executive. He was a American football coach in the US and had been in the board of a lot of tech company without being an engineer. So he was person people. He's, yeah. He was very good in dealing with board context and board situation and conflict and so on. And I liked it, his story and his, his, his character, this character, his, his character very much because he's very direct, very passionate, extremely always over enthusiastic it is on the positive side right and i think um i see too many people around that always are very smart in finding reason why something doesn't work and i think we need more leadership and more entrepreneurs who actually rather than looking why something will not work try to think about why something will work and change so that optimism uh, is something that we definitely need more in, in, in our part of the world. And I enjoyed that book and I would recommend it to anyone who wants to be a good leader. Thanks. That's such a nice way to finish also the conversation with optimism at the end. Maurizio, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you have a busy schedule, so I appreciate you 
taking the time speaking with me. You're welcome. And I look forward to the next time we see each other. Thank you. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give me a rating and a review. This means the world to me, as I really pour my heart into the production and the interviews with those brilliant minds. If you are looking for an easy way to learn strategic marketing, check out the Simple and Sustainable Marketing Academy, where I share the basics of strategic and sustainable marketing in an online live setting. You can also sign up to my inspiring newsletter, where I deliver valuable thoughts to your inbox on how to achieve sustainable growth. I promise you will like it. And if you want to get in touch and find out more about me and my projects, just have a look at the links in the show notes or find me on Instagram and LinkedIn at Florian Schleicher. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to sharing more with you in the next episode.